0: to the latest episode of the welsh rugby podcast first of all thank you very much for listening however you are listening to it uh, if you would like to go to your podcast subscriber uh, your podcast service i should say and give us a rating uh, and a few stars and a review we greatly appreciate that today i'm delighted to be joined by our rugby writer simon thomas uh, we're here at the six nations launch simon it's that time of year once again um in general terms, how are you feeling uh, ahead of the Six Nations, given
1: everything that you've heard today? I'm very well, Matthew. Thank you. Very, very good. It's interesting. You say it's the same as every year, but it's very different in one respect. For year after year after year, we used to go to a place called the Hurlingham Club in Fulham, kind of Putney area, which is very swish, you know. And I um, always used to make the same trip up there. But this year, we're in a different venue, and it's a very interesting one. We're in Wapping, which. Um, obviously it has a great heritage in terms, of recent heritage in terms of the newspaper industry. And uh, we're in a place called the Tobacco Dock, which uh, old 19th century listed building, which used to be a warehouse in the old dock days. And I guess tobacco coming through here. And it's a nice old venue, isn't it? And um, we've uh, sat and we've listened and we've taken it all in. And uh, I found it really fascinating. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's been new as much as anything from our point of view, because after 11 or 12 years of sitting having Warren Gatland giving the, uh, the talk about what Wales are going to do, it's a new face. Another Kiwi, Mr Pivak. And I thought, you know, in the interviews I sat in, I thought he handled it really well. He looked assured. He was humorous. and. Uh, interestingly spoken to a lot of journalists from other countries perhaps haven't dealt with him very much and we're all very impressed so um, yeah a good start for Mr Pivak on the uh, communications side certainly just give our listeners a bit of a, a flavour of what this day entails and you know you know,
0: people like yourself have done this many times. It can be a little bit chaotic on days like this. You've got players, coaches, and captains uh, from every nation here, and the women's teams as well represented. It, there's a lot of people walking around, a lot of moving parts, and, and it's a little bit chaotic at times. Yeah,
1: it, it involved my alarm going off at 10 past four in the morning. Thanks to the arrangements Mr. Southgate made, and uh, it also involved a quite a cramped uh, tube ride. But once we got here, I have to say, you know, it was a bit delayed. I, mean, I often get that, and it was almost inevitable. There's a few delays lays around there and <laughs> But it worked pretty smoothly. I mean, essentially, they divide um, you up into different rooms, depending on what part of the media you work from. There's an online section, which is a growing audience these days. There's the written press, which tends to be um, interviews which are embargoed until 10 o'clock in the evening. You've also got, obviously, the broadcast rooms for the the rights-hold broadcasters and others, and there's radio rooms. So you need a big place, and it is a big place, and everything's sectioned off and organised very well. And you can can pick and choose where you want to go. And it, it just happened, it was quite... A, a nice. Sometimes you have to wait forever for, to, to get all your information from Wales, but um, Wales did their first two main hits for their online section and the, the newspapers um, straight away in the first like kind of hour of it. So we were able to sort of get our work done early. But um, yeah, it was interesting to sit in on all the different coaches of Fabian Galtry with his lovely white shoes. I noticed that, and uh, you know a few changes, uh, but essentially you know it's uh, a lot of familiar faces. You get to see a lot of people you don't see that often and yeah you you can fill your boots with material to last for a few days if not a couple of weeks all right, and let's uh, get down to
0: business then, really, and let's talk about Wales. Um, first thing on the agenda, really, was, was just to touch on the injuries. Uh, Lewis Rissamit, Riesam, let's get that right. Lewis, Lewis. Yeah. Riesamit, Uh obviously the new, new teenage sensation, the winger from Gloucester, uh, came into camp carrying a knock that he picked up against Toulouse on the weekend. Liam Williams, the other one, and Owen Watkin, uh, the other injury concern there. Before we get into it, side, let's have a listen to what Wynne Pivak had to say about those three players. Yeah, Lewis uh, picked up a bit of a
2: bump last week. Um, he's worked well with the medical team and he'll be back uh, hopefully training this morning, uh, doing some running with the boys. So uh, he'll go back to his club this weekend and uh, we'll get him back next week. Uh, Liam is uh, on for round two of the competition. Uh, he won't make uh, the Italian match, but uh, uh, is on track for, for Ireland in round two. When you mentioned last week, the we
1: were one game, back to think it was the first game.
2: He'll he'll, uh, he'll take part, hopefully, in full training next week. So he's uh, on the improve, obviously. Uh, Running straight line running yesterday. So, yeah, hopefully he'll be up and running next week. Possibly available for round one, but more than likely round two.
0: So there it is then, it Generally sounds quite positive You know, you get the impression there That that Samit is probably going to be available For Gloucester this weekend Having shaken off his knock And sounds like Liam Williams and Owen Watkins Probably for the second week of the
1: Championship This That's pretty good news It was interesting, the Reece one Because I watched that game live on Sunday When he went down for treatment um, Against Toulouse out in France When he got to his feet There was a real, you know, visible wince As he put pressure onto his left leg Oh, this does not look good at all And then when you then subsequently Having come off him on crutches with an ice pack strapped to the back of his left calf, he thought, oh, that is not good at all, because we, we all know if it's a calf tear, you're talking six weeks. But the one thing that did strike me was when he was down on the, f- the ground, he was giving the old pulling the top of the, the foot back, the, the classic cramp thing, yeah. cramper sign. So maybe it was just that. It was like a severe cramping, which can cause, you know, a bit of spasming in the in the calf. We saw in training that when the pictures came back from Wales going Camp, he was walking freely. And we hear from Wayne Pivock that the plan was for him to be be running today, so with was it 10 days or so to go until the start of the first game? I mean, there's every sign that he'll be available, which is great for him, great for the public because there's a lot of interest, and um, you know, it gives Wayne Pivak something to think about because he's certainly a man in form and uh, obviously Liam Williams
0: is a fantastic player but no, not so great concern around him at the moment because Lee Halfpenny's playing so well Owen Watkin on the other hand news that he's due to come back quite early in the tournament is really good news because Wales have got a problem in that midfield and one that they're still going to have to manage in the first game against Italy by the sounds of things
1: Yeah I mean it was a hint last week when the squad has announced that Owen Watkin could be back sooner than we thought and that, that's kind of been sort of built on what we've heard here in uh, Wapping. Um, I asked away. Uh, About Owen Walken and the impression I got. He obviously had a cartilage, knee cartilage problem, which has taken a few weeks to sort itself, but he seems to be gradually working his way back. And the the suggestion is that he should be ready for that island game. Now, whether he'll start in that island game, I guess, depends what happens in his absence before that. You know, there's lots of options. Um, We've talked about one of the back three moving into centre, probably George North, you know, the favourite in in that respect. I mean, he's had these two runouts for the Ospreys of of, of late, you know, two big games as well against Saracens and Munster in the Champions. Champions Cup. You've obviously also got the option of Nick Tompkins, the new man in the squad from Saracens. But then again, obviously he's not going to have that many sessions to get up to speed with the Wales setup. Um, so yeah, you could certainly see the possibility of North partnering Addy Parks in that centre. Uh, and then it's a decision to be made who goes on the wing because again, you know, you well even without Liam Williams available for that first game which means Lee Halfpenny almost certainly would have thought standing fullback then you've got the decision to make on the wing because you've got Josh Adams is going to be certainly in one of those spots and then you're looking at a choice between Johnny McNichol Owen Lane Lewis Reed Summit. Where'd you go you know it's it's a nice position to be in isn't it because they're all talented boys um Jordan Jonah Holmes is in that setup as well I forget about him you know so uh, yeah that's going to be a very interesting selection, not just the starting lineup, but who gets a chance to come on off the bench because you would imagine that you want to use as many players as possible in that first game
0: yeah I should point out we try to find ourselves a quiet room here but it's a busy event so if anybody walks in and there's a bit of noise I do apologize um, but we will carry on one position of the squad so si, I know our colleague uh, Mark Orders did a piece on the number six jersey being the most competitive in the side at the moment in time. We'll come on to the back row a little bit later on. But the scrum half is an interesting one. And, and you know, Reese Webb's in camp now. You've got Thomas Williams and Gareth Davis there. Before we get into it, Sai, let's have a listen to see what Wayne Pivak had to say about Webb's frame of mind coming into camp this year.
2: Yeah, very experienced player. You know, British Lions come back into it. So the question is, yeah, where is he at in terms of his, his fitness levels um, to play? Uh, well, he looked very sharp. Yesterday, I can say that he um, he trained very, very well. But it was just the the communication level of communication that he brings, and that experience challenging other senior players uh, during the training session, which I think is a fantastic thing. Keeps everybody on their toes. And as a nine, you know, you you really want that guy that's barking the instructions, if you like. And um, you know, nines and tens have a role to play in terms of delivering, you know, the 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 patterns and the plays that we want to want to use. So I think
0: uh, that experience was seen yesterday in training already we so it sounds like Webb is looking good in training. He's a good player. You'd expect that. How do you feel about that scrum half position at the moment? Because you've got Gareth Davis, who's held it down for a long time. Thomas Williams, who has come through as a real challenger in the last two years. And now, obviously, the, the, the experience and the quality of Webb in there
1: to select from, That that's a very difficult position to call, isn't it? I mean, logically, you would think that Reese is probably third in the pecking order in the sense that he's been out of the world setup since he hasn't played since December 2017, the end of that autumn series. Obviously, being in Toulon, in Eligible. Now he said special special dispensation from the WRU to play in the Six Nations because he's coming back to Wales, believe for the Ospreys next season. Um, but he's got to find his way back in. Pivak said, said last week, you know, he can't just walk in and you know, just step back into the jersey he used to wear. There's a huge competition there now. I think if you look at it logically, you would probably think that you know we are where we were going to the Barbarians game. Let's remember what happened there. It was Thomas Williams who started in that match. He's been some of the stuff he's produced for Cardiff Blues this season been I mean, magical. Also, Gareth Davis has had a couple of outstanding performances for the Scarlets, and Reese Webb's you know we know what he can do at international level we're hugely blessed there um, if you're asking me who I think will start I think it'll be Thomas Williams starting with Gareth Davis on the bench but I'm not the selector am I? <laughs> and I'm sure as well and it probably speaks to the competitiveness
0: of that position that you could ask the same question to hundred people on St Mary's Street and you'd get a hundred different answers um, moving on then one of the themes since Wayne Pivak was announced really is how they're going to evolve this attacking game you know it's been a constant in the last sort of 10 months uh, since we knew PIVAC was taking charge or so. Um, this is what PIVAC had to say about that. Yeah, well, look, Wales uh, have
2: won the competition last year playing the way they played and, uh, you know, for any team to win the competition, you, you've got to be playing pretty well. So what we've done is we've come in and had a look and just asked the question, really, how can we add value? So we're looking at a couple of areas where we think we can add some value and... and now, we're looking at the attack and evolving that over time. Um, it won't happen overnight. Uh, when we went into the scarlets, it took a few years before we got it sort of how we were, were comfortable playing the game So, as players in a management group together. So it will take time, but it's
0: certainly something we're looking to evolve over over a period. So, Sid, do, do you think that that Pivak is going to find it easy or difficult to implement a similar style that he that he employed at the Scarlets? Can you, do you think you can do that at an international level? Does he have the
1: players at his disposal to try and play that way? Well, it's interesting. He talked about the fact that when he went in the Scarlets, it took this little bit of time, isn't it, to hone the skill sets, doesn't it? It's interesting for hone the skill sets you know, and get people to understand what all their roles are. Now, if you look at the way the Scarlets attacked at their best in that season when they won the Pro 14, Pro 12, Pro 14, in <laughs> Their game hinged around James Davis, in my view, because they were at their most dangerous and their most threatening over turnover ball, which James Davis was, was the king poacher, the king jackler. And also his ability to add and contribute and link and support up in the outside channels as well, you know. So it's interesting to see, of James Davis is injured at the moment, and even if he'd been available, there's huge competition for, for the back row berth. So how are Wales going to be? play it because if you look at the, 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 their kind of back row options they've got the ability to play a really wide game there if you saw against the Barbarians how Tipperick and Wainwright were both obviously in tandem in wide channels so will there be a temptation to go for those two together because they offer in terms of dynamism and in terms of foot length and ability you know we've seen with Wainwright a quick over the ground years we know what Tipperick offers but obviously you've also seen how much Tipperick works well in Tandem with Josh Navidi. So I think a lot of the attack depends on the supply of the ball. So it's a kind of, you know, you will know the way the Wales will want to play under, under Wayne Pivak and Stephen Jones. So you've seen it, the Scarlets. It's looking to stretch sides, it's looking to play quick off turnover ball, any spilt ball, attack, 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 get it wide quickly, get it out to the legs of Johnny Rennickel hitting lines, north hitting wide channels. The key to it is can they deliver that quick turnover ball and can they deliver quick ruck ball? That's the key to it quick ruck ball means one thing one thing alone to me it means Josh Navidi when Wales didn't have him in the, in the semi-final of the World Cup you could see uh, how much slower the Welsh ball was they were basically take, they were basically uh, you know neutered at source by one man Steph Dutrois right Pierre Steph Dutois. so I think the way Wales play an attack he'll know that and the key for him now is deciding which forwards will allow him to do that
0: OK, it's all interesting. It was a, a chance for a bit of light-hearted uh, banter and joking around in the Wales press conference. Let's have a listen into one final question from Wayne Pivak before we move on. First,
2: quickly, for one, somebody, um, what, what's the biggest challenge you face in the first two weeks of this camp in terms of trying to implement what do you want to do to put your mark on this one? Getting the on inside. they struggle for years. <laughs> <laughs> Getting a new skill set in there over a couple of weeks. No, it's um, <laughs> look. It's really just settling in and getting to know the players and, and building those relationships. It's all about relationships and at the end of the day, um, the coaching group have been together, most of us, uh, for a wee while. Um, John Humphreys has slipped in really, really well. Um, and, you know, you get Sam's enthusiasm as a, as a young guy coming into the environment. And obviously you get a guy like Alan Winnie, hopefully for him it's 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 a new challenge and, and it, it lifts the Assignment levels you know and so we're looking to challenge everybody in the group create opportunities for them and create competition within the group and uh, I think the week for the bar bars was great and so far the start this week has has backed that up really so uh, it's an enjoyable time to be at at work but uh, we haven't really fired a shot in earnest yet so we look forward to the competition.
0: So that was Wayne and obviously discussing what his biggest challenge is in this role um, you know these are two weeks with players English based or French based players will have to return to their clubs on Wednesday so today uh, they'll get the players back on Wednesday, on Monday next week you know that's a challenge he's got to overcome he uh, alluded jokingly to trying to get Alan Wynn on
1: side but what what do you think is, is Pivac's biggest challenge in this two week period before the Italy match? It was interesting though you see that was the first time we kind of seen Pivac and Alan Jones yeah. together at top table and you look at the body language, and you know, Alan Adam, Adam Jones doesn't suffer fools gladly. I've, I've learned that over the years. Matt, you know. There was
0: that little line in there about the press, and it—we've been trying to get him on
1: site for years. I've <laughs> been struggling. I know, um, but I thought they looked like, yeah. a, you know, appearing. A they seemed quite easy in each other's company, and I think there was—I got the impression, you know, there was a sign of respect there from Alan Jones. You know, he seemed quite comfortable with it, and clear—it's yeah, quite clear how, mu- how much he's rated by, by Wayne as well. Um, um, it is an interesting, this one, about the, the English-based players to me, you see, because especially given that you've got nine of them in the squad and quite a few of them are new to the setup. In in, the, in Tom Kims and Will Rowlands. Um, you know, Rhys Carey's relatively new to the squad. Um, you've got Reese Samick completely new to the squad. Owen Williams hasn't been in the squad for a couple of years. And it's quite difficult when you... How many sessions are those English-based players going to have before the Italy game? Three, four maybe. So it's it's quite difficult for them to assimilate and, and force their way in. Whereas the home base players are essentially there from, from now until mon- well, from Monday to just gone until well beyond the Italy game. So they do have an advantage, which makes me it goes back to that whole George North Tompkins thing in the centre. You know, George has been playing there. He knows the setup. He knows everything about the Welsh camp. They know about him. Might that possibly mean that Tompkins is, is held back because you know he's a specialist centre who plays for the European champions? In a in a way, you think he would be the more obvious selection, but it's difficult because especially in that thirteen role, which is such a key defensive one. So I think that's that's the interesting thing for me is like how much will the limited time the, the angle the exiles have in camp count against them potentially for the for the selection for that Italy game, and how much of an experimental one it will be. He did give me the impression to me today that he's going to go with his, what he considers his absolute strongest side that's the impression I got because they want he wants to start at home with a big win get a crowd in the country behind him you would take in that job wouldn't you <laughs> absolutely I'm,
0: personally I've always had the opinion they should go all guns blazing for this given all the points you've just raised there um, I think that would be a sensible uh, route for Pivac to take let's move away from Wales briefly for a second then um, Eddie Jones was, was peppered with questions regarding the Saracens <laughs> I know where Farrell was today um, we did get in a couple about Wales um, and we asked him about Wayne Pivak um, and he decided to point towards Gatlin's gate, let's have a listen
3: uh, Yeah, well it's a team full of expectation now isn't it, you know, Warren's done a great job Yeah, uh, you know, they've got Gatland Gates now, so every time Wayne walks through, he, he walks through that, like, pays homage to, to Warren um, and he feels that expectation of, of what the Welsh fans and the Welsh community want but he's had some great success with Scarlets, yeah, he's got a good background through his coaching in New Zealand, had a little bit of experience at international level with Fiji, yeah, he's got a certain style of play that he wants to play um, and it will be interesting to see whether he can impose that on the, on the Welsh to play at the international level. Are you looking forward to using Scarlets
0: again? Uh,
3: there will probably be a few empty pint glasses there mate. <laughs>
0: So there we are, and so, uh, Eddie Jones, not one to shy away from the verbals, um, putting a bit of pressure on Wayne Pivak again there, um, which I think a few of us touched on at the time when this was announced by the Welsh Rugby Union, every time Pivak arrives at that ground, he's going to have to pass through those gates, you know, does that add pressure,
1: will he feel that pressure? I mean, everybody feels pressure in this job, don't they? Eddie Jones doesn't miss much does he he spotted that a mile off he always finds something it was interesting because Wayne was asked quite a few times today about the legacy stepping into big shoes how do you step and take over from someone who's had such t- tremendous success and he's very well aware you know, of what Warren has achieved but I think he, it's not going to change what Warren has achieved He's not going to change our way and pick our coaches. He's going to come in here with his principles along with Stephen Jones of the way they want to play, how he wants to manage people, how he wants to deal with people. And that's how he's going to approach it. Now, he might not be as successful um, as Warren Garner, but I think it was clear to him, listening to him, he was looking to the future, you know, and what he's going to do. Even to the extent that I think he said about um, he doesn't see it as a case of defending the title. It's almost like a year zero approach, isn't it? Like, you know, what's the the past is is a, is a different country you know um, so I don't think it, I don't think it, I think he, he's aware that um, yeah, taking on the Grand Slam holding team you know is a challenge but I think he said something along the lines of challenge brings the best certain players and coaches so we'll find out won't we we will indeed uh...
0: Owen Farrell and Johnny Sexton uh, worked for Press today as we mentioned the captains of their respective countries of course two guys who know uh, Wales fly half Dan Bigger very well and this is what they had to say about him
2: yeah uh, good friend from uh, I suppose the previous Lions tour and um still stay in touch with him he's, uh, he's gone from strength to strength really he's, I think he's really gone well under the new coaches in, in Northampton and they've um, you know obviously qualified for the for quarters now in Europe and uh, he's playing a big part of that so uh, looking forward to, to locking arms with him again in, uh, against Wales in, in a couple of weeks but we've got a big one, big one first next week before we start thinking about Wales
0: uh, yeah obviously a brilliant player um Uh, very consistent always always thereabouts he's he's competitive that's that's the thing that I'd say about him Uh, that that stands out massively for him So say on Dan Bigger then obviously vastly experienced well thought of within the group a leader in the side is he more important at the moment given The loss of Patchell and Anscombe. At least when Anscombe was lost to the World Cup, Patchell was there. He's now got two, you know, he's got an inexperienced Jared Evans beneath him and an Owen Williams, you know, who's got very limited international experience as well. You know, so is he more important at the moment than perhaps he has been for some
1: time for Wales? He's probably the perfect balance now, the way you've got it in a way, because having someone as, as assured and experienced and such a controlling influence of bigger, but also so a bigger who's now playing arguably the best rugby of his life at Northampton he, he seems to have really flourished under Chris Boyd so you know, and, you know touch wood let's not tempt fate, but Dan tends to stay injury free so you'd hope he'd be the, you, know, get, you know he takes and that's, which is given the amount he puts his body on the line you know is a great achievement I think it's, it's a great situation to have where you've got the absolutely Mr. Reliable who's playing great rugby at the minute and then you've got a young Jared Evans and Owen Williams finding his way back into the international arena And it's interesting to me to see which of those, because I, I think everyone pretty much expects Dan Bigger to start against Italy. And probably all the big games. So who goes on the bench? Do you go for um, Jared Evans? We all know what Jared offers with ball in hand, his running ability to come on maybe when a game is broken up. Or do you go for Owen Williams, who gives you somebody who then can cover 10, 12, especially given the situation in the centre? So that's a fascinating one. But yeah, bigger is hugely, hugely important. Last year, you know, he was in a different role. He was the guy coming on to sort of navigate the ship home after Anscombe probably got Wales in front, playing, you know, quite an attack around rugby I think Bigger will be quite keen to show that he can do what Anscombe did last year in terms of really bringing out the best of the Welsh attack I mean you know there's a perception of Dan Bigger isn't there that he's a limited rugby player some people have that view you watch Northampton this season and you think about some of the things he did with the Osprey he's not a limited rugby player his awareness of space around him and his handling ability you know it's excellent a really top and draw you know and that's on top of his bravery on top of his ability in the air and his controlling influence now maybe you know Pashy didn't see so much of that with Wales because I think generally if you look back at the Warren Gatland era he liked quite a, a very controlled situation at 10 a game management you know early part of his reign you saw um Jim James Hook who was probably more of a kind of a free-spirited ten. Wasn't wasn't able to hold that position down. It went more for the Stephen Jones element. Now it's interesting, isn't it? With a new coach, you've seen what's happened had a new coach at club level at Northampton. Now he's got a new coach at international level who himself admits the expectation is a wider game. Are we going to see a different done bigger international level as well? I think that's fascinating. Absolutely, and uh, Alan Wynne-Jones obviously here uh, in
0: his role as Wales captain, um, we all know what he's achieved in the game over the years, I was keen to get the views of some of the people that he's going to come up against in this championship on him uh, so here is first Andy Farrell and second Eddie Jones I mean, or if anyone who's, who's got longevity right at the top you know, this man's, this man's uh, exactly in, in that same bracket, you know Anyone who's pushing anywhere near 100 caps uh, means that they've had a hell of a career. But within that career, everyone knows that there's going to be ups and downs and they've dealt with that in the right manner and come back even stronger. And, uh, yeah, I think what he's doing at this moment in
3: time, I've watched his last two games when he's come back as well and he's made a difference to, to the Ospreys, obviously, and uh, it's good timing for Wales. Yeah, he's a colossal player. Um, I think you've seen him always been a good lock, always been a good player but I think his, his leadership and his captaincy of the team has grown um, and he was superb in the World Cup um, and I'm sure he's motivated to keep doing well So, Simon as we said uh,
0: we all know what we can expect from Alan Wynne-Jones now phenomenal rugby player and servant uh, to the game in Wales and still keen to keep pulling on that red jersey he's been injured since the World Cup he's had two games back for the Ospreys are you concerned that he's only had two games or are you confident that he is ready for
1: the tournament no I'm not worried I watched him against Saracens he was an absolute pain in the neck for the Saracens that is <laughs> in terms of you know the Ospreys have had been a very tough season and you know he came back in and he was like kind of a statement performance you know I'm back you know I know they lost that game obviously they lost to Munster but to me it looked like the Alan Jones I've always seen just someone who's an absolute nightmare to play against he's into everything you know you see him at those malls he's, he's almost like it's fascinating watching him he's actually having a conversation with the referee while in these malls he's so experienced now he knows exactly how to deal with things situations and deal with people it was funny you used to say today how he's uh, I think 16 years younger than than Louis Rees Summit, you know, which, which which shows, you know, both how young Reece Sammet is and how experienced Alan Wynn is now at 34 years of age. But he's a 34 year old who I think, you know, has had a break after the World Cup. You're going to need that at that age. He's come back refreshed, and I think, you know, he will hit the ground absolutely running in the Six Nations. And, you know, he himself has said he doesn't see himself finishing anytime soon. You know, there's a Lions Tour in 2021. Is he going to make it for that? Well, I think he'll give it a good crack. Great news for Wales and obviously if he he does uh,
0: decide to keep going and it does look like he's got plans to do that uh, in the near future certainly and hopefully uh, for many years to come. We touched on it earlier Simon, Um, based on what you said I guess I think you know the answer to this but the back row is... A very competitive position at the moment. You mentioned Josh Navidi earlier. There's a lot of people, obviously, would mention Justin Tipperick. Um Falatow is back in the mix. You've still got Shingler in there. Wayne Wright had a phenomenal 2019. Ross Moriarty, let's not forget, it's never going to give you less than 100%. What does the makeup of your back row look like, and just how difficult
1: is that decision? I'll stick with what I said because I predicted it last week. What I, th- Well, predicted it, what I, what I thought it should be in terms of balance. I think Falato is absolutely world-class having him back as such a boost he's only played a couple of games but he's just he's just looked like he's not been away so I'd have him at number eight offers so much always at the top of the charts in terms of carrying and tackling when he's been playing for Wales so consistent um Tibbrick is is the seven and I say I like the balance of him and Navidi Navidi is such a dog always punches above his weight, his clearing out is so important, he does so much of the nitty gritty work which I think allows Tibbrick to flourish and do the best Now it's, it's tough on someone like Aaron Wainwright who had a fantastic World Cup, has had a great year um, you know, Wariati's contributed a huge amount and Aaron Shingler, I mean I've watched him the last three or four weeks, he's been absolutely outstanding for the Scarlets, you know, of all that group if you're looking for a lineout out forward as you can really you know let's remember how important he was to the Welsh lineup. you know before he had his nasty knee injury so you know might decide to go with him as the line option you don't know he's, he's, talk, he's even talked recently about how he sees Corey Hill potentially doing what Maroway Toji and Courtney Laws does you know, covering both four as a big six and if, it, it turns out that he's been playing six for the Dragons very much as a collaboration between Wales and Dean So they're keen on seeing that so yes they've got six second rows but I think you're seeing him very much as a four six option so he's got lots of candidates I'm, that's my back row as I say is valid out to Navidi but who's to say what it's going to be what will yours be I wasn't. I wasn't ready for you to. Throw, wasn't ready for you to throw it back at me. There, so I,
0: um, you do have those little niggles in the back of your mind about Falato. Obviously, having not played a lot of game time, um, but like you said, I think he's world class operator, and I think he goes straight back in uh, at number eight. And, and to be honest, it's difficult to disagree with what with your opinions. Um, you know, Navidi was hugely missed. I think in the World Cup, phys- physically um, against South Africa, I think we missed his his just sheer strength. Um, and and, you know would have done some useful work for us at the breakdown there um, but
1: I don't think you can leave Tibre out either so I think I think you've probably hit the nail on the head. I just do think this one thing nagging away at me is the line out I, I, I just think I've watched Shingler in recent weeks you know and I, I've said who I would pick but I would understand it if they went with Shingler at six because he is such a great source of line-out ball. And you look at the other options they've got in the line-out. I suppose they could use Tipperick as an option there. You see, if Wainwright doesn't say they use Wainwright a lot, the Dragons have, and Wales have. So if you go Tipperick, Navidi, and Faletau... Are we maybe, and then probably Ball and Alan Jones? Are we a bit shy in the line out there? Yeah, I mean, maybe Falatow
0: can get up. Um, you know, I don't think you're not going to be throwing Navidi up all too often. Um, I think maybe Falatow could do it, but I, he won't go up as quickly as somebody like Shingler or, or Wainwright. So I take your point on that. But I think that's a very interesting point, though. Um, and it will be interesting to see what he does with it because. You know, it's all well and good saying you've got to look after the breakdown, but if you're not winning your line out then that's that's a problem, isn't it? It
1: is a tricky one, it is. I mean that's why again Wainwright could come into the equation because Wainwright can offer can offer that line adoption and offer you know, doesn't uh, the dynamism as well. But I don't know, I mean I just think it's a great, great headache to have. It is and I'm glad I haven't got it actually.
0: Um <laughs> Just quickly, then, because myself and you have got to jump on a train back to, well, multiple tubes and then the train back to uh, back to Cardiff. Um, I can't let you go without getting your feelings on, in terms of predictions heading into this championship. I know you've spoken to a lot of our fellow journalists from various newspapers today who have perhaps said various things to you, but what are you thinking about potential winners for this
1: tournament? Yeah, I've done a pundits, bit of a pundit's pundit panel. You know, uh, spoken to a lot of our, uh, I think we can still call them Fleet Street colleagues, aren't we? And colleagues from Ireland, colleagues from Scotland as well and um, it's interesting um, do you know what not one of them went for Wales to win it really not one no I'm surprised <laughs> I'm surprised and every but the answer was in, in every case yeah. I think just every case was either England or France to win it um, and I can see where they're coming from because you, you could sense something building with France in that World Cup in terms of the squad but a new coach in Galtier who's highly respected I mean, again, they've got 19 uncapped players in their original squad. Uh, What I was getting um, repeatedly, though, when I was asking for their opinions, is a a huge amount hinges on that England-France opener. Um, Kind of as a general opinion, whoever wins that wins the title. So not much mention of Wales. And to be honest, I think Wales would be quite comfortable with that, especially in PIVAC's situation. You're coming in on the back of a Grand Slam, semi-final of the World Cup taking over from Gatland nobody expects anything of you so it's probably quite a nice situation for him to be in I think most people are predicting them coming third or fourth they're third of the bookies by the way behind I think England and Ireland Um, so I really don't know I I (laughs) I think Wales have the potential to win the, the tournament because I, I don't see anybody winning the Grand Slam. So as such, I think four wins would do it. You could see them winning the three home games against the three Blues. and Then it's a question of whether they can get a win in Dublin or in Twickenham. Um, so I think what you'll have, very likely, you'll have a couple of teams on four wins and it will then come down to points difference or maybe bonus points, of course. Um, I think Wales has the potential to win four. I think so do France so I think it'll be either Wales or France and I've done an interview earlier where I said France so I better stick with that but this is a Welsh audience mainly <laughs> so uh, <sighs> really <radio> I meant Wales <laughs> alright on that note we'll leave it there then
0: Si so obviously and, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot happening now over the next couple of weeks as we move into the start of the Six Nations campaign and of course you can catch it all on Wales Online